Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, May 21st, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous. On We are starting on page 65, the last paragraph, we went back. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Elizabeth C., 12 Traditions, Lonnie, and our readers of the text are Michelle H., Helena, and Penny C. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, May 20th, is 6373. That's 6373. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Elizabeth D. to please read the 12 steps. Elizabeth? Hi, this is Elizabeth D., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Cincinnati, Ohio. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Elizabeth. And I will now ask Lonnie to please read the 12 traditions. Lonnie. Hi, this is Lonnie from Florida. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Okay. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. 
Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should, should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thanks, Lonnie. How are meeting works? Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you please keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, on page 65, the last paragraph, starting with, we went back. And I will now ask Michelle H. to get us started with the reading. Michelle H. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The visual, I'm sorry, the usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. 
Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. And so this paragraph um, describes exactly what I was doing when I when I first approached, you know, doing my inventory. I focused on column one and column two, um, that the world and its people were often quite wrong. I had that down pat. I could tell you over and over and over for decades, um, you know, who I resented and what was the cause, and that's where I was stuck. And um, I continued to, to play the outcome that they said, a victim. People continued to wrong me, and, and I was always upset. But at the beginning of the paragraph, um, it tells me what I need to do. I needed to look back through my life, and I needed to be thorough and honest. And when I get to column three, um, this is where I'm really looking at myself, and the focus is taken off of the the people that I'm resentful at. And it's in column three that I become aware that it's really not about the people that's upsetting me. It's not about what they've done, but it's my reaction to what they've done. And it's based on me, self, what I want. And, and it's based on my perception of things, my instincts, these basic fears and instincts that, that I have developed over time that's created this pattern and this perception of things that are quite skewed, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I just That was my belief. That was the only thing I knew. And so that was my perception of things, and it was, people were wronging me. Um, it's when I get to column three, and then actually when I get to column four and I'm sitting with someone who is recovered, where sanity has returned, who can see the truth, um, that they shine the light for me so that I can see that that really this is not true. These are my perceptions, they're my beliefs, and they're what I'm reacting to. And what did it cause me? It caused me to have, you know, to be remorseful. It caused me to fight harder and harder to try to get my way because I believed it was true. But what did I get? I got more of the same. Matters got worse. And I thought that I was winning when I wasn't. I was losing. Um, I wasn't connected to a higher power. I was still powerless. I was running on self-will. And I've learned from the beginning of the book that you know, life is hardly a success when it's run on self-will. But I didn't know what I didn't know. But this is where I was living. And this is where um, you know, the beginning of the process, the beginning to build that relationship with a higher power, to get access to a power that I need, this is where it all begins. When I start with being thorough and honest, I look back on my life Yes, I didn't have any problems with one and with columns one and two. Um, some of them, you know, have been going on since childhood, and I've been carrying them for a long time and um, nurturing them and growing them and uh, becoming the truth in my reality. And it's when I get to column three, and it says when we were finished, we considered it carefully. When I finished column three, that, that column on page 65, that's what I was considering carefully and looking at that because that that was holding the key to me being able to see the reality of the situation and to see that, that these were really lies that I had been telling myself for, for most of my life. I just didn't know it. And so I need to go further than column one and column two. I needed to go farther because to conclude that others 
where wrong was as far as I ever got, but I need to go farther, I need to go deeper. And that's what this paragraph is reminding me of what happened when I first came to do the inventory. Don't, you know, don't let it stop me, Michelle, that, you know, I thought that others had wronged me and I couldn't get past that because that would that was a roadblock for me taking an inventory. I wanted to blame and blame other people and I wanted to rationalize that this was the cause of all my problems. And if I stayed stuck in column one and two, I wasn't going to be able to see the truth. And it's hard to be able to let go and say that, you know, it's not these other people's fault. Maybe maybe there is maybe there's some um fault um, and I need to look at myself. But that's a scary proposition, but I knew that others had gone before me and that, that that held the key to get past column one and column two, be honest and thorough. And that was the key and has been the key and continues to be because if I'm disturbed about what someone else is doing, there's something wrong with me and I need to take a look at that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle H. And who would like to comment on this paragraph we read? This is Paula. May I comment? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, a lot said here. Some I agreed with very readily. It was apparent that this world and its people were often quite wrong. Well, I could stay right at that sentence. And there would be no moving on to any other columns or any other area in my life until I could see my part. And I want you to go down here to this last line. I'm going to scoot right on down. As in war, we know what wars are about. We've lived battles within and without. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Well, that was enough. That was enough until I finally looked around. There was nothing or nobody there. I wasn't even there. But then it says our moments of triumph were short-lived, and that they were. You know that little gloating you get after you, you win an argument? You know that. Or you get your point across, remembering a point is very sharp, and it pierces. There's a word, and it's called pyra victory. And pyra beaming like a fire. Remember that line, we were burned up? And what it means is victory achieved at such a great cost that is a, nearly a defeat. So that was the victory that was achieved. Oh, and a great cost. Relationships, people I wanted in my life, jobs. So with that, I would like to pass, and thank you for allowing me to share. Thanks, Paula. Well, this is Katie G, and I'll just take a quick minute. I, I love this paragraph. So I I created my list, right? Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty, and that means executed without omissions. And I was pretty angry. I was really angry. No problem. World and people often quite wrong. I could start with mom and dad and go down the list. And in fact, this is so different than um, the way I had lived my life previously, right? Like, Previously, I'd gone into therapy, and there's nothing wrong with therapy, but for me, when I was active in my disease, both abstinent and not abstinent, what therapy did with me is I got to, like, win my therapist over. Like, look what mommy did. Look what daddy did. I'm a victim. They got divorced. They did this. They did that. Um, and, you know, they got, so then my therapist gets on my side, and I think I win, and I'm like, but I'm not feeling any better. 
And um, same thing, like, I remember girls in college, like, being so angry. Like, here I was being singled out by this girl. And, um, you know, and, and I hated her, and I would try and get people on my side, and, and, and I would win. But then, you know, that was it. Like, I was the one that was losing out, right? Like, everybody else would gossip, and then they'd go do their homework. But I would gossip, and I would hate people for just looking at me, and then it was eating me for dinner, right? Because I would hate you so much. It would consume me so much that eating was a step up from how I felt about myself. And so I continued to battle. And as my sponsor said to me once, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And you know what? That's a really hard question to answer for someone like me because I am selfish to the core. And I think that being right is going to make me happy. But it never did. You know, this list showed me over and over again, like, all these people, and I'm the common denominator, and I'm wondering why no one is, is like, wanting to stay in my life very long. Well, it's because I'm walking around with this attitude, you owe me. You know, you, you do me wrong, you're dead to me. I'm never talking to you again. You know, and, and um, it was so phenomenal. Like, I continued to fight, and, and, and the promise is steady, and we have ceased fighting. I was at a job. I got fired. I continued to fight for my right to work as a manager, and I don't belong in management. I got another job. I got called down to the boss's office. Katie, you can't talk to people that way. Okay, next job. And like, just like the jaywalker. And it was all, it was so profoundly amazing just putting those names in those first columns and seeing, oh, my God, I am so angry, you know, and I'm the common denominator. And if I'm the common denominator, then I am the problem. And that's the good news, right? As we continue with this reading, we'll see there's a whole other side to see that I am the problem. And with God as my solution, you know, I, the good news is other people don't have to change for me to be happy. And that's what's so amazing for me today when I do these turnarounds, when I, when I get angry, which is so much less than I used to when I get angry, I have an immediate solution and I can laugh and say, oh, my gosh, Katie, there you are again. You're the problem. You know, so again, you know, this is, this is in abstinence. You know, I, I've, I've taken steps one through three. I am not eating. I've turned my will and my life over to the care of God by following through with this inventory, which is vital. I cannot say in, in um, thinking that, okay, well, those people are wrong. They're spiritually sick. They're spiritually sick like me. And with that, I do pass. And who else would like to comment on what was read? Hello, this Hi. is Rachel. Jackie. Okay, I think I heard Rachel and Jackie. Was there anyone else? Hester. Rachel, Jackie, and Hester. Okay, we'll get started with Rachel. Go ahead. Hello. Hi, everybody. Thank you for your service. Now we're getting to the heart of the matters, and, and I just love it. I... um. Do you hear me okay, that I'm I a can, speaker? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, what um, we continue just where we left off yesterday, I think um, the last person was Leah, and she spoke about the mental twists that we are in when that have 
discolored our attitudes towards the world. So uh, it helped me a lot to not always look at the world, to look at our wrongs. It's not just wrongs that I've killed someone, not just wrong that I gossiped or that I called somebody names or all this angry bit, but what happened to me while I was at it that, that made me become the person that I became. So the wrong is not actually only what, what I did or what people did to me. So here I found in, in, um, in the 12 and 12 a little thing that may shed some light on it. It says um, very deep, uh, in, in many instances we shall find that though the harm done others has not been great, the emotional harm we have done ourselves has been very deep, sometimes quite forgotten, Damaging emotional conflicts persist below the level of consciousness. At the time of these occurrences, they may have actually have given our emotions violent twists which have since discolored our personalities and altered our lives for the worse. Sometimes somebody said yesterday that even when people gave her a compliment, she thought that I love that. Somebody gives me a compliment and I think, you know, what do they think is wrong? Why? Because because I, I don't even expect anymore to find favor in the eyes of anybody in the world because I don't feel that I'm worth anything or I, I felt that way before, you know, some recovery that happened. But this this business of looking, it's like the, like the glasses are turned with the lenses uh, turned the wrong way, seeing things where they are not or seeing things distorted. These are the wrongs. And when, 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 we look at, when I look at these things and I think to myself, how much forgiveness God has given me in my heart already for the people who wronged me and that I'm able to even feel it, that, that's the, the miracle of the program. You know, as it says in step 12, that, well, what is that emotional, uh, uh, the, the spiritual experience? As many as we are online, that's how many types of, and, and shapes and forms of emotional experience there are. But that the common denominator of them will be able to, I think it says, to, to feel, think, and do things that we weren't able to before. And, and when that happens, it's a miracle. But I'm so grateful for what we are doing right now, right here, and anybody online, you know, even if it takes, 35 years like it took for me to start looking at the people in my life in a different way and the people around me who still do sometimes things that, you know, it doesn't burn me up anymore as badly. And if it does, it's not for, the duration isn't that long. The intensity isn't that long. And the frequency isn't that long. And, and that's all that we can hope for, one little baby step at a time. And I love you all. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you. And Jackie, go ahead. This is Jackie. I'm a grateful compulsive overeater today. Um, wow. I've been listening to this uh, chapter for the last couple of weeks and been silent. And uh, a lot of times, you know, the God of my understanding put me in a state to where I just need to listen. But today I, uh, wow, I, I just need to tell somebody about Jackie. And uh, this fourth step is so powerful that 
it really hit home with me today because, see, I have not really been thorough and honest with my feelings. And for years I've lived a lie because I wasn't thorough and honest because, see, I was this director and I always had a script to play because I'm I'm an actress today. And um, I've been in a battle with some things. And uh, what I like about this paragraph is that but the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse, the worse matters got. As in war, victor only seemed to be seemed to win. And that word seemed is italicized because, see, I thought that I won this thing that I had been fighting with at work. And um, uh, I've really been in a, in a, playing a different role here these last couple of months with this person. And uh, I thought I had this thing under control where I can control the temper and, you know, work this fourth step and get through it, honestly. And uh, I, I start fighting with this thing because why I got a lot of hell in me. This is, this is why I got to be up front, honest with people today. I got so much hell in me. It's the one that I haven't disintegrated. And I fought with this thing, and I battled with this thing, and finally somebody said, just ignore her. See, I never knew how to ignore people, places, or things. I always, situations where people are confrontational with me, I would go to battle, and, and this is what I, I say. I hear my grand, uh, grandson say, and people say this on TV, I would hit that thing in the throat and shut it up and go on about my business. But today, I can't do that. I, I got to stop going to war. And it seemed like I won this thing, this battle, but I didn't. I would come home. I would be miserable. I would be upset, and that script in my head just never would stop until finally one day I said, cut, this is over. I got to, I got to cut this thing out in my head because the voices of what I should have said, how I should have handled this thing, uh, I, I should have punched it, I should have did this. See, all those things went, went around in my head. But what I'm learning today is this. I don't have to fight with it. I don't have to do anything but be honest about my feelings and write it down. And I like that because I did make an ass out of myself fighting with this thing. But at the time for me, because, hey, I was where I was at the time, it was all right with me at the time because, why wow, I was in that sick mind. But the more I get on this line and I hear people talk, the more I understand my disease. Now it's time to walk away from this thing and walk into this God realm because I'm understanding the God, the God of my understanding can't dwell within me if I got a lot of hell in me. And uh, I'm understanding that today. And uh, I'm so grateful to know that I can be honest and actually admit I got a lot of hell in me. And anything that crossed my path, I'll probably set it on fire. But today I don't have to do it. I don't have to burn people, places, or things up with the power of the tongue. I can let my tongue rest, do this fourth step, and, and, and lay out my feelings. And if I want to cry about it, I can cry about it. That don't mean the person got the best of me. That don't mean they controlled me because I got a huge ego, a huge one. And today it's okay for that person, place, or thing to think they got the best of me. Because at the end of the day, I got to do God's work, and I cannot do it if I got a lot of hell in me and I'm fighting with people, places, and things. And with that, I thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Jackie. And finally, Hester, please go ahead. 
Hi, did you call my name? I was trying to unmute. This is Hester. I did, Hester. Go ahead, please. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to take a quick share. Um, it says we have to do this process with thoroughness and honesty. Um, this is the third time that I'm doing a fourth step. The first time I did it with great reluctance. It was just like really baby steps. Um, the second time was a little bit better, but I was always holding back because I was so fearful that somebody would see my papers and, and see what they were not supposed to see. So I did a lot of it in my head. And this time around, I decided I would do it on the computer and password protect my document. And I see the difference. I'm really like letting everything out. And the process of writing, you know, like I can review it and I can insert more stuff. And when I speak to my sponsor, I insert her comments. It it really is so freeing. It's so different. So I just wanted to, you know, uh, share my experience with that. And I also would like to comment that when we come to the fourth step, it's different than the preceding ones. There's no way that we can do this on our own. We must have a sponsor because if we don't, what we're doing is, you know, like we're in the same rut constantly, you know, going around in circles. We need an objective person to listen to us when we give over that fifth step. Um, I just wanted to make one more comment. So <laughs> in my case, um, when I gave over my fourth step to my sponsor, and I'm telling her about all the people who are often so wrong, and it's obvious that they are wrong. You know, she agrees with me, they're wrong. But she stops me immediately and she says, just a minute, we're not taking anybody else's inventory, this is your inventory. And you cannot change anybody, you've got to change yourself. And that's what's so important, that's really the key. Um, and I just value my sponsors so much. I, I value all the steps, especially this step, which I was so reluctant to, to even begin. And um, I'm just so grateful for program. Thank you. I pass. Thanks, Hester. And uh, just a gentle reminder to let everybody to time themselves if they can for three minutes. And we will continue. Does anybody else want to share on this paragraph? This is Tara. Hey, okay, I heard a couple people. I heard Tara, and then did I hear a Marissa? Yes, Melissa. Melissa. Okay, did I miss anyone? Okay, Tara, go ahead. Hi, thanks for this meeting today. This is really, this is really blowing me away because I've done the steps a few times, and each time it was with the sponsor. Um, and each time I, I got closer and closer to the heart of the matter. But I, now I see, if I could have heard all this the first time, I hope there's some people on this line that have never done the fourth step before because if you guys can get this meeting recorded and listen to it, wow, you could really save yourself ever having to do the fourth step again maybe. Um, because, you know, like just a lot of the fear is wiped away of, you know, like what's, what's going to happen? Um, I don't know how to do it. It's going to be so hard. Um, I, you know, it was like a big secret, like what's the next, what's the next part of it going to be? And um, I just 
I'm really grateful to everybody who who's shared and talked and it's just just I'm so excited. I'm really just a few days away from starting a fourth step and uh this time I think it's going to be a um a real deal maker or breaker or whatever for my disease. And um <clears throat> also um Oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but just thank you, everybody, and and um, just I think this is going to really help the whole world a whole lot that this is available now because of the wonderful technology that we have. Um, so, so just just uh, have at it. Thanks, and I'll pass. Thank you, Tara and Melissa. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Melissa from New York. And um, can you hear me? I can, Melissa. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. Um, I, you know, I'm uh, in the process of, of doing my fourth step again um, with a, a more uh, recent abstinence. It's uh, about 90 days this time. And I I feel, you know, something huge, a shift inside, you know, after um, being in and out of this program for years. Um, this uh, morning meeting on the way to work really been life changing, and I, you know, as I'm on the fourth step and um, listening to these readings, people sharing, um, this is where I really know that um, this disease is far deeper than the flu for me. I'm having um, that irritable and that itchy feeling inside, and. Um, and I have to just really trust in my higher power that everything um, is being revealed to me in his time and um, and that I have to trust the process. Um, because uh, for me, it's, I'm either deep in denial or I'm obsessing. Um, and, and, and that's my struggle right now with the fourth step. I'm, I'm learning anew, you know, at 45, how to face my problems, my issues, um, and not obsess over it. Um, I know things are, are being brought to my attention that I need space, resentments that I have. Um, I didn't sleep last night. Like I, you know, and that for me, I, I'm learning that's my higher power. When I have a sleepless night, um, God is grabbing me when I stop moving compulsively because that's also my, my compulsion. I busy myself. Um, and when it's in the middle of the night, I have no choice but to face whatever it is. So I'm just, I'm so fortunate that I'm so thankful that I can do this really with the help of all of you here. And uh, it's that I can. Thanks, Melissa. And we're going to move on. Helena, would you please pick up the reading where we left off? Good morning. This is Helena from New Jersey. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. I'd like to make a few comments on this. 
I find this amazing. Uh, we start out in this paragraph by being told that deep resentment in our lives will lead to futility and happiness and that we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile if we permit these. But that in itself is not enough reason to stop us from feeling resentment. Um, uh, very often, um, we're, not, we're not told that other people have not been wrong and that we don't have a reason to be resentful. Not at all, as was said already. There may be plenty of reason to be resentful, and it may be that the other people in our lives have done far worse than we have. So it is not enough for me to know that deep resentment in my heart will lead only to futility and happiness. It's much worse than that. If I harbor these because I am a compulsive overeater, I am an addict, I will go back to food. Um, this paragraph, I believe, is put in here in order to uh, convince us that no matter how wrong the other people are and no matter how much we think that we have a reason to be resentful, we cannot afford to do this. The insanity of alcohol will return and we will pick up again. Pass. Thank you, Helena. And who would like to comment on what was just read? Kim. Larry. Elizabeth. Kim, Larry, and Elizabeth. Kim, we'll get started with you. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. To the precise extent that we permit these, these resentments, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? You know, we have to remember that this book was written by recovered people. They're looking about at this, you know, in hindsight. We cannot see this as we're going through the fourth step. But I can tell you as someone who's recovered looking back, this is a very powerful statement. There's a visual I like to use of the jail and the jailer. So someone's in jail, but there's someone outside that jail that has to guard the jail to make sure that person in jail doesn't get, doesn't escape. So who is more attached to the jail, the person who is wronged, who, who's in the jail for the offense, or the person who has to sit outside the jail cell guarding that cell? That cell? And that to me is what the resentments are. That's why I squander the hours, because I'm the jailer who's just as attached to that jail as the person I have made wrong. Because that's what my resentments are. I need to make you wrong. So I become as attached to that jail as the person who did the offense. And what I saw after I've been through this process and I made my amends and I started to live in 10, 11, and 12 is that my resentment, my pain, nine times out of 10 was not because of what happened but because of my reaction to that situation. That my resentment of living that instance over and over and over robbed me of today more than what happened. Because how can I live in 2014 if I'm still trying to punish the people that hurt me in 1985? If somebody hurt me in 1985, let's say it's in a, in, a, in a sexual relationship, and I've chosen to punish every person that I've dated since then, if I've chosen to separate myself because I'm afraid that I'm going to get hurt the same way I got hurt in that relationship, that person has more power over me now than they did in the original act they did 30 years ago. Now, this is something I could only see in hindsight, but it's a real truth of why this 439 process is so necessary and so powerful. So I'm going to read that one more time. To the precise extent that we permit these resentments, 
Do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Larry, please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, Larry Recovered, Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, okay, so I'll focus on, look, what, what are we trying to do? We're, we're trying to cultivate a new relationship with our higher power. You know, I always want to remember that this is a spiritual program. This is not, you know, a, a, a you know a diet and calories counting club. You know, this is this is distinct, and so there's actions that we have to take. And so we're in step four. We're looking to clear away the wreckage of the past. And so it says, you know, but with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. You know, grave is is death is deadly. And that was indeed the case for me. You know, those resentments kept me stuck, and I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. And, you know, what happens with resentments is they follow us around, and they reside deep within our, our inner, inner consciousness. Even when we're not thinking about them, they rule us. They own us. Because they, you know, as, as we think, so shall we be. And... If it resides deep in my inner consciousness, it's going to impact and affect everything that I do. So we have to, in order to get this new relationship with a higher power, we have to clear away the wreckage. And, you know, it says, you know, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. And, of course, the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. Insofar as I carried around these deep resentments, you know, and, um, and, 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 and walked around with them and, and recognized that, you know, I just couldn't cultivate. I wanted, I desperately wanted a new relationship with some, some higher power, but I couldn't get it just by wanting it. There's lots of people that want it, but I had to have, I had to have God's help and I had to do my work. I had to clear away this wreckage. I had to look for patterns of behavior and, um, and, and things that kept me stuck in this disease. You know, where either in everything that I do and everything that I think, I'm either taking a step towards disease or I'm taking a step towards recovery. And, you know, I've, I've heard it said on this very meeting, you know, in that last statement, you know, there's death. I mean, there's different forms of death. And I know people that were probably days away from the physical death. You know, they were, they were five and 600 pounds, and they, you know, they, the, the manifestations of the disease were, were killing them, and they had a short time to live on this earth. That was not the case for me. When I came into the program, I perhaps was not at physical death's door, but I was the walking dead. I was a zombie walking around. And, you know, for me, as I've heard on this meeting that someone has shared, Sometimes that death is perhaps worse, and it was for me, because I wasn't living. I guarantee you there's more than one person on the line this morning that feels dead inside. I don't feel that way anymore. I didn't do this for myself. As a result of taking these steps earnestly and fearlessly, God transformed me so that my experience is different today. And it's made all the difference. I'm a better person today because God has delivered me, transcended, transcended these things. 
So thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. And Elizabeth D., please go ahead. Hi, this is Elizabeth D., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I love the fourth step. It is, in my view, well, all the steps, of course, are the greatest change agent on the face of the earth, if you ask me. But the fourth step was... um, was the biggie for me, and especially the third column, which is what we're looking at now in these paragraphs. Um, but what I what I like to point out is that this paragraph is, for me, referring back to page 62, where it says, so my troubles, they think, are basically of my own making. They arise out of myself. So I spend my whole life um, in, in column one and two, before I even know how to do an inventory, I'm in column one and two. You know, I'm pissed off at my mom or my my siblings or my friends or my boss, and, and I'm ruminating over what they did in column two. And I'm completely oblivious to the fact that it's actually column three and what I'm doing to myself with all of this that um, is causing my problems. You know, the book is clear. My problems are not outside myself. They are inside myself. They arise out of myself. They come from within. And that's what the third column does for me. It helps me see that um, I have no power over others' behavior toward me, um, but I'm allowing myself to be anchored in deep water as in a harbor or ship, you know, and I can't cross from bridge to shore because of how I'm allowing everyone out there in the world to affect me. Um, So, you know, the greatest statement of hope in the book for me is that I can change and nobody else has to. You know, nobody has to change or or do anything different in order for me to be be happy, be be well, um, or recover. And, um, And that is, that's just, that's the most awesome promise about this. If I can just submit to this process and allow myself um, or allow my higher power to show me um, just how I have let the world dominate me, I can then move forward and, and see more truth in the fourth column and then finish the rest of the steps and get recovered and get this mental obsession lifted and then live free. And the last thing I'll say is I just turned 60, and I only just recovered. Um, the mental obsession was lifted for me in February. And and I have to say, I, I what someone else mentioned, this paragraph in hindsight means so much more than before I recovered because I'm very acutely aware of all the hours of my life that I have squandered. Um, it's just... It's just so sad. So if you if you are here and you're really done eating and you're really ready, please pick up this spiritual toolkit and don't squander another minute of your life. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Elizabeth. And we have time for a couple more shares. Would someone like to comment on what was read? This is Janice. Leia. Okay, we have Janice and Leah. Janice, please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Janice, and I am 
a compulsive overeater. Thank God I know that to be the truth today. You know, this four-step inventory, it's so nice to be on the line here. I, I haven't been on the line for a while, and and I'm I'm so grateful to all of you to uh, to be studying this wonderful process of transformation. But it cannot happen. It could not happen for me without the work. And that's what we're talking about here in Step 4, the work that we do to continue this process of transformation. And, you know, the big book is really clear, I think, about what we suffer from, anxious apartness, anxious apartness, loneliness, deep loneliness. I did not know that that's what I suffered from. I was a very self-sufficient, self-sufficient, self-centered person. But I didn't know that until I started to do this process. Because once you put the food down, at least that's how it happened for me. Once I put the food down and I began this process of the steps, I was in a race against time. Because now everything that the food had been covering up was exposed. And I needed to deal with those things that were keeping me in that anxious apartness and keeping me in that lonely place. So I needed to know that I was like you. And this process of the fourth step showed me that. Showed me that we were all alike, suffering from the same delusions, the same, the same false notions, the old ideas that kept me prisoner. And all of those were revealed to me in this four-step process. Me, myself, and I in stark contrast to what I wanted to be. And with God's help, I was able to keep uncovering, discovering, and discarding all of those things that kept me blocked from that sunlight of the Spirit. You know, inclusion, inclusion, connectedness, the relationships that I have built as a result of having all of that happen to me are just beyond measure. And so if you're out there on the line this morning and you're suffering from this disease of compulsive overeating, you know, may you be offered the same solution that I was offered. And dive in. The water's fine. We help each other. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Janice. And Leah, please go ahead. Thank you, Katie G. Hi, everybody. I'm Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, we found that it is fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. You know, in working with people uh, over the course of more than two decades, um, you know, a, a common thread is that, uh, you know, people get when it comes to resentments um, about those that they have harmed um, in some way. Um, but what about, uh, you know, people who have harmed them, for instance, as kids growing up, you know, either mentally or physically, um, you know, they feel some justification in having that kind of resentment. You know, I, I, I didn't do that, you know, I didn't cause that on myself, that I didn't play a role in that. But, um, you know, the thing about these kinds of incidences um, is that a justified resentment blocks us off from the sunlight of the spirit just like an unjustified resentment does. 
because whoever we're resenting is controlling our thinking. So we've given them the power to actually um, dominate our thinking. Also, when I was doing this work and I had a similar situation, um, you know, I was using that resentment um, to justify for myself not getting on with life. The greatest thing I was doing at that point was rationalizing and justifying not doing what I should do or continue to do the things I shouldn't do because I can't help it, you know, because this thing happened in 1971. You see, I got a lot of uh, power out of victimhood. Victimhood gets its power from resentments. Uh, I could I could dabble in self-righteous indignation. I could do a little character assassination. I could certainly justify digging my fists into bags and boxes. And meanwhile, two decades had gone by, and meanwhile, I was neglecting to look at my own role in this creation and avoiding responsibility uh, for my life. And of course, that that blocked me from the sunlight of the spirit. It kept me isolated, and food kept me isolated. The binging kept me isolated, and I spent a lot of time in a car in a dark parking lot binging my brains out until my eyeballs hurt. You know, those tentacles were rooted in my very soul. The marrow of my bones was rotting away because of these resentments. But thank God for the 12 steps where I could take actions that were indicated on these pages and let God rewrite my story. You know, I was always taught that love and hate cannot exist on the same plane. One of them is going to have to be predominant, Leah, and what is it going to be? You have that same choice every single day what's going to dominate me. Is it going to be resentment? Is it going to be strife? Is it going to be alienation? Or is it going to be love, patience, tolerance, and compassion? You know, if God dwells in me, then those things can be born. But if I shut God out, then I rot. And that was the answer in January 19, 1987. It's the same question I have to ask myself every single day. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And... Let's see, I just want to see what time it is. Looks like we, if, if someone is able to think about a two-minute share, we can take that comment, please. I'd love to hear from you. Hello? Yep. Hi, this is Elaine, food addict. And um, my experiences with resentments is that they have never made me, created a greater desire to eat for me at all. Um, I think anything that is involving anger is actually has the opposite effect on me. It's kind of energizing, which is not to say that resentments are a good thing. But I think like everything else, you can't force them away. And it doesn't help me to, you know, attack myself over them or think I'm a bad person because I have these resentments because obviously there's a reason why I have them. And um, I always pray for people that I resent. I always uh, if I have negative feelings toward others, I always pray and turn it over. And, you know, through that process over a period of time, and it can take a long time, especially for some really deep resentments, uh, to diminish. But, you know, it's just, an, you know, an ongoing process. And I think that, you know, for me, all program work should also 
whether it's with me or people I sponsor, should be a compassionate process as well. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And unfortunately, it's time for our meeting to end. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Yes, good morning. Thank you, Katie. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.